Cigar City Radio is sponsored by No Clubs and StateMedia.com. Find out about upcoming concerts in Tampa Bay by visiting StateMedia.com and tagging No Clubs on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Use the hashtag WeAreConcerts. Here's what No Clubs has coming up. Thursday, October 17th, face-to-face and lag wagon with H2O at the Ritz Ebor. Tuesday, October 22nd, Andrea Gibson and Mr. Buddy Wakefield are going to be at the attic. Tuesday, October 22nd, Alter Bridge and Skillet, the Victoria Sky Tour with Dirty Honey coming to Janice Live. Friday, October 25th, Young Gravy Experience the Sensation Tour with Toop and Savage Realm coming to Janice Live. Friday, October 25th, The Main Presents The Mirror and Twin XL at the Orpheum. Sunday, October 27th, Sabrina Claudio brings the Truth Is Tour with Gallant to the Ritz Ebor. Saturday, November 2nd, The Neighborhood with Slow Hollows and one of my personal favorite new artists, Claude, come to the Ritz Ebor. Sunday, November 3rd, Scotty Sire with Toddy Smith featuring Bruce Wagner and Chris Bloom. This is called the What's Going On Tour, and that's basically the question I have. What's going on? Well, it's going on November 3rd at the Orpheum. For info, tickets, and more on any of these shows, head to statemedia.com. This episode of Cigar City Radio was recorded at the offices of Symphonic Distribution. Symphonic Distribution is an independent music distribution and marketing company founded by former music producer Jorge Brea in 2006, headquartered in Tampa, Florida, and with offices in Brooklyn, New York, Nashville, Tennessee, Denver, Colorado, and Bogota, Colombia, Symphonic provides new and established record labels, managers, and artists with global digital music and video distribution to hundreds of retail and streaming platforms, as well as playlist pitching, release promotion, and a comprehensive suite of label services. To learn more about Symphonic or apply for their services, head to simdistro.com. That's S-Y-M-D-I-S-T-R-O dot com. Symphonic Distribution. Distribution redefined. Welcome to Cigar City Radio. The song you just heard was In the Wars by A Deer a Horse. I'm your host, Randy Ojeda, and making the magic happen, Mr. Jason Solanez. Man, my nose is all... I, I don't even want to think about your nose or any part of you, honestly. No, you no, no, you no. don't want to think about any of me being... No, I don't want to think about any of you being... Yeah. Our guests on this episode are Christian and Dion from Loose Talk. You might also remember them from a band called Anne Berlin and another band called Acceptance. They're doing a lot of cool stuff with Loose Talk. They got a new single coming out on November 8th through Symphonic Distribution. It's called Iron Heel. So follow Loose Talk online. They're at Loose Talk on Instagram. You can also go to loosetalkmusic.com, sign up for their newsletter, and be the first to hear about their EP that's coming out next year. I guess you're hearing about it now, but you can be on the list and get all sorts of cool stuff from them. Really awesome guys. Great chatting with them. Really insightful. They have so much knowledge about the industry and the scene that they come from and just really, really cool people to, to sit down with. So listen to this conversation with them. Also joining us on this one is our good friend Ray Roa from Creative Loafing. 
he sat in and, and asked some questions and, and joined us for the conversation. We haven't, we haven't had Ray on an episode in a while, so we just felt like it was due. So be sure to hit Ray up and let him know how much you loved or hated him being on this podcast, especially if you hated him being on the podcast. He loves that. He loves hate mail. So message him on Instagram and tell him, Ray, you were terrible on Cigar City Radio. He'll appreciate it. So here it is. Loose Talk. think i went to his backyard but we he was courting my band acceptance back in the day but he doesn't fly so he brings bands to him oh yeah because that's not crazy yeah (laughs) he doesn't really travel so if he wants if he wants to see you he like gets you on a show in la and then and then you come to him yeah that's nice that's that's when you know you've definitely made it is like when everybody just comes to you you know you don't even yeah but I mean, if, I don't get on planes. But yeah, but I mean, if Rick Rubin invites you somewhere, you got to say yes. Fuck like you yeah, can't, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you can't say no. Yeah, it was so sick. That's Holy amazing. Crap. We're like the Beastie Boys just hanging out there. And no, know, but I will work. say, so Mars the Volta. show he did, he he flew us down to a show. It's a showcase, right? Yeah. We got us on a show in L.A. Opening for uh, Rooney, actually. Oh, uh, this is acceptance. So, and this is you know we're we're just getting going. We had been a thing in, in Seattle, but we wouldn't we hadn't toured much. So that was like a big deal. He's in a private booth. So before the show, I go to hang out with him. He wants to like hang out with the singer and I. And he's brought Rivers Cuomo to the show. So I'm sitting in a private <laughs> VIP booth with Rick Ru. I'm 23 at the time. Yeah. I'm sitting in a private VIP booth with Rick Rubin and Rivers Cuomo going like, what the hell am I doing here? This is like the craziest <laughs> thing ever. Was that when you realized, ah, I've, now I've arrived. Now I've. He now passed on us, actually. It was actually a good. <laughs> we dodged. We dodged a bullet because he had signed our our mutual friend, uh, Noise Ratchet, this band from San Diego, ended up signing to American, which was Rick's label. It was an imprint right. on something. It and was an imprint on Columbia, not Columbia. Uh, whatever. Epic or something. Def Jam and I- Island. Yeah, it was on Island. Yeah. But uh, so he was courting. Um, our band acceptance and noise ratchet. And he ended up signing noise ratchet. They did a whole record and it never, it, it he folded American and he never put out the, the noise ratchet record never came out. So they, so they broke were, up oh. and formed Delta spirit. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. So you so would have dodged a bullet. Yeah, you could have been on the shelf forever. Yeah. yeah Cause I've never heard of noise, noise, noise ratchet. ratchet, noise, yeah, noise ratchet. ratchet. Yeah. Never yeah. heard of them. So was that yeah, like Matthew why. Vasquez or something or with Delta spirit? Who was uh, that? It was uh, Evan. Evan and uh, John. Wow. So bass player and drummer from cool. Noise Ratchet ended up joining and starting Delta Spirit with the other dudes. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go, kids. So Lucked everything out. worked out. Sometimes it's good lesson. if Rick Rubin passes on you. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Hold on. How do we tell the kids like to pick up the warning signs that even when like a Rick Rubin is courting you, like how did you know you that could wasn't never, the right fit? No, he passed on us. It wasn't us. Okay, so you would have. We were getting courted by a few labels, uh-huh. so I think we kind of, we had management at the time and a lawyer and all that kind of stuff. So we had people kind of looking out for our best interests and just helping us. You know, it made it easier when he passed because then you just kind of go, oh, well, now it's just Columbia and who else? Right. You know, and you yeah. look at the, what they're offering and what they want, and then you can make an educated decision. Damn. I respect passing just in general, like people that pass on stuff or let you know, like, Hey, I can't do this. Or, you know, just tell you no in general. I respect that so much more than people that just kind of leave you hanging. And, yeah. It ghost you, know. you. Yeah. yeah. It just ghost you. So at least Rick Rubin didn't ghost you. No, That's no. Good. Yeah. He was a huge fan and just, he went with his whatever, you know, yeah. Rubbed the Buddha belly for a while and meditated and was like noise ratchet. That's where I've got to go. Yeah. And then everything folded and that's, that's that. He's fine. Well, he's sure. Rick Rubin's not hurting. I don't he think. would not. He was like yeah. head of a. He like ran a bunch of labels after that. Like he, he's yeah, fine. It was Noise Ratchet yeah. was the did a few Johnny Cash albums. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did a Neil Diamond album after that. Yeah, he's been he's been killing it. Yeah, lost a bunch Kanye. of weight. Yeah. The other fun Rick Rubin story is 
you know, you know what he looks like. Yeah. He dresses like, he doesn't even dress that nice usually. He's usually like in yoga kind of shorts and like a dirty white t-shirt and he looks like a homeless person. So he go, his, I think he was his, one of the guys that worked at American, one of the A&R guys that was courting us as well. was telling us the story of him going in to buy a Bentley or whatever hit personally with his assistant. And they were Jesus. like, um, can I help you? You know, cause looking the way he looked walking into a Bentley store, like a, a homeless person off the street. And he was like, yes, yeah, so I'd like to, uh, purchase one of your cars. And they're like, okay. Okay. Crazy yeah. man. Yeah. And, and then they like, he pulls out like whatever crazy credit card. That's got no limit. American express black card, black made out of Titanium. Opal or whatever. Yeah. It is. <laughs> and then they're like, Oh, okay. And they're like, Oh, oh yeah. Whatever yeah. you want. But I could imagine seeing him walk into like, you know. You think back. LA would know better by this point. You would like, think, yeah. You know, there's so he's many He's a pretty eccentric. extreme. Yeah. He's pretty extreme though. I mean, he legitimately looked like a homeless person. No, oh, I mean, and he's, yeah, he's got the beard and everything. Mm -hmm. So I could totally see it. That's that's wild. Yeah. So so it's starting off with two Rick Rubin stories. So you're really setting the bar high for Sorry. this podcast. <laughs> I, don't know. Yeah, I don't know where over. we go from here. Sad. Like after Rick Rubin, that's yeah. it. You know? It's been a great conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah talking really great talking with you guys. <laughs> Uh, but it is a beautiful Thursday afternoon. We are at the offices of Symphonic Distribution in downtown Tampa, talking with Christian and Dion from Loose Talk. And also joining us today is longtime friend of the podcast. You'll remember his voice from early episodes. It's been a while since you've been with us, Ray. I think it was like episode number two or something. Yeah, episode number two is Ray Roa. And he is joining us again today oh. for this conversation. Really glad he had the time to stop in. So thanks, right? Yeah. Thanks what episode me. are we on? Yeah. Uh, this Three. is we've actually we have so many now that we've stopped putting the episode number what? in the title. Yeah, because it gets kind of ridiculous. It's like episode 184 or whatever. Right, it's right. like you know, no one really <laughs> cares by that it, point. Yeah. So I, I think I think that every time I see a UFC advertisement, yeah, at, at like a Hooters or a Wing House, it's like UFC 496. I'm like, why are we even keeping track? Yeah, of that's that? that's there's, how I felt. There's one know? every month. Why does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we figured, we figured it'd be better to just drop the number and just go. Fair know. enough. So you can just look up this episode as Loose Talk, and that'll be the whole title. Sick. You know, it's also more SEO friendly. I was going to say, how's that work out on Google? Yeah, it works out really great yeah. on Google. Actually, you know, if we want to get really into the SEO I'm sure Rick Rubin wasn't talking about fucking Google. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. sure Rick Rubin was not talking about that. We're going to talk so, about AdWords, keywords. This yeah, might get confusing because there is actually a podcast called Loose Talk that is... Oh, uh, so we're about to break the internet. Oh, like, yeah. For I, think real right from, I think they're in it's like, India or something. Uh, yeah, it's, and uh, there's a t so there was a TV show called Loose Talk. When we, start, when we named the band... We were looking. We, we like, you obviously have to do your due diligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so easy now. You can just scour the internet and find whatever. But so we discovered that like there was like some Indian English uh, talk show that was like super like you know zany variety show back in I guess the seventies or sixties called Loose Talk. And then there's this like African uh, podcast called Loose Talk that features a lot of like worldly hip hop, like you know not American, like world hip hop stuff, you know, like a lot of out of Africa and things like that. And it's just like, I was like, ah, I think we'll be okay. As long as there's not yeah. a musical act called Loose Talk, I think we yeah. can get around that. There was one called like Loose Talk Cost Lives or something that put out like half an album or. And so when, and so when did the band form? So you guys were, you were both in Ann Berlin at the time, right? When, when you got the band together or. Yeah. So a Few, if not actually every guy in Anne Berlin has a side project. Stephen did Anchor and Braille. Steve, uh, Nathan had started doing Carolhood with Tim from Under Oath, who is actually his brother-in-law as well. And uh, a good friend of theirs, Reed, who played drums, touring, for Say Anything. For say anything. Yeah. And then Joey had been doing a, a project where he recorded everything himself called Sins, and he put that out. And so Dion and I felt left out. And so we were like, F you guys. <laughs> we're a starting band. You guys aren't. We can do stuff. You're not going to be in our band. So we started. That was like towards the end. That maybe six months after we were like, yeah, let's start writing and, you know, working on something different than Amberlynn. We had a, the band conversation of like, well, maybe we don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we were like, well, I guess that's the main project now. It was the side project. Now it's the main project. Yeah. And that's that's really cool how Amberlynn kind of splintered off into all of these other bands, you know? Yeah. That's I mean, no one really pursued it we were the only two that were trying to actually legitimately do this again full-time i think people still wanted to work on music here and there but no one you know other people were pursuing that's why amberlynn 
broke up was just guys that didn't want to do that as a career anymore. We still did. So, you know, loose talk was supposed to be that avenue, but then, you know, life kind of got in the way there for a minute. I, I went on to do acceptance stuff and we both got jobs. He had a kid, Amber like Lynn a came real back. selfish bastard. <laughs> Amber Lynn came back. <laughs> So the thirst, Amberlynn, you're so thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, because you're 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 playing with Amberlynn again now too. So you guys have shows coming up, and mm-hmm. then you have loose talk shows too. Yep. So how are you juggling both those projects? Well, one of them we're just gonna play with Amberlynn, which is funny. <laughs> we're gonna that open, makes it we're easy. gonna open for ourselves and you know, just really go the budget friendly route. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's more so the right now Amberlynn's stuff is so spread out. We're kind of just doing stuff at will. So it's not really a tough schedule to work around. Cause I mean, there's a lot more space in the calendar for loose talk stuff than there is for Amberlynn, other than what Amberlynn has taken up. So, you know, we have a show in December for Amberlynn, and then the next thing won't be until probably May or June next year if we do a tour. So that leaves a lot of real estate in the, in the time frame, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Amberlynn is semi-active, if you will, now, just like you said, at our convenience when it works on pe- pe- with people's schedules. And if it's something we want to do, then that's something we'll discuss, but no one's trying to do it full time. And then on the flip side, that kind of gives us the ability to wind up loot talk in a way that we haven't in the past because of, like I said, mentioned before, just life stuff kind of took precedence and, you know, had loose talk had to get put on the back burner. But now it can kind of take, you know, can be put, you can turn up the heat, if you will, and put in the time. So that's kind of what we're trying to do now is be like, hey, we're a real band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if in case you didn't notice, right? Yeah. I feel like um, my most memorable moments seeing you, uh, loose talk have been in smaller bars like crowbar and then i think you have a show coming up at hooch and hive mm-hmm. and it's really interesting to hear you being set up on the same stage as Anne berlin have you had a chance to do that already i think about like iron heel it's this big song like it's ready for pretty much any room right it's almost too big for some rooms <laughs> um how are those two live sets different i mean like in terms of filling a room energy because the songs are pr- kind of right on par with each other in terms of power and and the volume and the space they take up. Thank you. Um, we've just kind of taken what we've been offered at this point. So, you know, there have been a lot of small, you know, your bends and crowbars on some empty nights. And, you know, we have had the opportunity to play in front of a decent amount of people. We did some shows with Taking Back Sunday a couple of years. So those shows were obviously pretty packed by the time we played. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it changes the performance for us uh, necessarily. A bigger stage affords you a little more room, obviously. So, I mean, if you play at a smaller venue, you got to be mindful of not smacking somebody in the face with the guitar accidentally or something like that. But um, I don't know. It's it's always nice to, if you are playing an interject song, to kind of have the space to move energetically. And I mean, when you feel cramped up and you're kind of like having to stand still, it, it it's hard to perf- I guess perform the song the way you would want it to so you just kind of end up just playing the song rather than performing it as well so it's kind of in, in in terms of that it's it opens up the performance factor a lot more when you're playing at a stage that's got a little more room and and, and obviously uh, being I think being a rock band in general feeding off the crowd's energy is always yeah, a great thing true. so the more people you're in front of the you know the better energy is going to feel and so we're excited about doing the House of Blues show in December because we will be in front of a <laughs> good amount of people. And But also, you know, we're really looking forward to the show at Hooch and Hive next weekend because that's going to be our show. And we haven't actually done a strictly Loose Talk headlining show in St. Pete or Tampa in like a year, over a year probably. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, no, I, I'm looking forward to that show for sure. And it, it'll be cool to see you, you know, in, in a room like Hooch and Hive, because I think the, you know, those small, a smaller room like that would filled with a bunch of people can be almost more fun or more engaging than, you know, a big room like House of Blues, because um, you get that direct connection to the audience. Like there's no hiding behind lights and and a, and a huge stage like you're right there. You know? Yeah. I mean, our first show we did uh, to kind of just you know, break the ice and get out there playing live was at uh, when the local 662 was still open in St. Pete. And it was, you know, for to us, it was like, you know, we want to play at a decent sized venue because we didn't know how many people were, were going to be interested initially uh, for Louis Talk. But at the same time, we didn't, we weren't 
deluding ourselves thinking like, yeah, we're just going to do our first show at State Theater, you know? So we definitely played our first show at a, a smaller venue, you know, right in front, you know, with people right inches from our face. And, uh, you know, it kind of helped set the tone for how we were going to go about everything with live performances and stuff because, I mean, it, it definitely for years, as Amber Lynn, if, if, if we were playing a small venue, we still, there was, you know, there was still like a good amount of space between us. A and, barricade you know, and there security. Was a barricade yeah. and security because, you know, if things got rowdy or whatever. So it, it was it was cool to kind of get back down on that uh, that level and just, uh, um, you know, start over and figure out how to do things again as a different band. Yeah. So have you, have you guys always been like, or how long have you lived in this area, like in the Tampa St. Pete area? Um, me personally, I, I grew up in Winter Haven, so like an hour and a half away from here. And I, uh, from the time I was in high school on, I was coming to shows over at State Theater, Janice Landing, uh, back when it was, you know, the Ritz was Masquerade. And so I, you know, going to shows at the old Orpheum. What was the one in St. Pete? Uh, oh, the refuge way back in the day. Yeah. Oh, wow. Whoa. That's a throwback. Where, yeah. Where is that? What's, what's there now? <laughs> Nothing. It's like an empty storefront. Wow. It, I mean, it's like, you know, right when you turn off or on the MLK, you know, on what is that fourth? By Coney Avenue Island, North. Right? Yeah. By Coney oh, Island. Yeah, there yeah. used to be a, like, I mean, they would cram like three or 400 people in that room, but it probably safely held about 150 to 200. Was wow. it you or Joey that got Joey held got held up a knife point at, outside wow. the refuge? Yeah. Him and his girlfriend at the time. That sounds like Fourth uh, yeah. Street to it's me. Still, right? It's yeah. still kind of like that over yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm not. You know, <laughs> Sorry, I'm not walking Christ, around there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's when, got his areas he's focusing. When on. When did you move to St. Pete, though? Like, I moved to St. So I moved to St. Pete in 2008. Uh, Joey and Stephen were actually living here at the time, and I, I was coming over to visit. And I was like, Yeah, this is a cool place. I don't have to drive anywhere if I don't want to. I can just walk around. Uh, which still wasn't wise in some areas, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was it was cool. Like uh, that was I mean 2008. Uh, 2007, 2008 was around the time that St. Pete was really starting to turn around and, you know, become very arts and music heavy and, uh, you know, local businesses were becoming very important. So, you know, there's places like the independent that were, you know, great spots and, you know, um, you know, of course your mainstays like masteries and Emerald and stuff like that. I mean, there weren't really a lot of places to go in downtown, but it was still, there was a there was a community that was obviously growing, so I moved over here in 2008, and I've uh, been in St. Pete ever since then. So, so I joined years. Amberlynn 2007, and but I was living in California. I'm from Seattle originally, and then I was living I lived in California. Whenever I would come over to rehearse with Amberlynn, I would stay generally with Dion in St. Pete. So I had the ability because I remember when I first there wasn't a lot of places to go back then. Like you like you said, there was the independent we would go to all, all the time, a few other bars, but St. Pete. And then about 2012, I started spending significant amount of time there. I met my now wife and would come after tours and then slowly made my way like to St. Pete. But it was interesting to watch the growth of the area starting in about 2007, 2008, when Dion started living there to, you know, what it is now. It's just a completely different city. A wine bar in every corner. Yeah. 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 It's wild. So then, so from there you called, you know, Tampa, St. Pete, home base. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Bought a house a couple years ago. So, so he, he's, he's literally here. invested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally in, invested. Yeah. yeah that yeah. makes sense. Cool. That's right on. Yeah. I, I think it's really cool to have, you know, like a band like Anne Berlin and now Loose Talk, you know, having roots like that in, in Tampa, St. Pete, because it's not, you know, this isn't an area that you'd normally think, like, hey, this is where some really cool rock bands are, are staying and playing and living, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, how, what do you think about that, Ray? Um, I think that myth is like slowly getting busted. I think for a long time, there've always been people doing stuff behind the scenes here. You know, you talk about more sound and metal and, and all kinds yeah. of people doing oh, yeah. crazy rehearsals here. Beyonce living on Davis Islands or, or just like a lot of the engineers and producers that are here. I think as far as star power or Tampa and St. Pete as a, as a place for artists and musicians to live, I think it's always I mean, why not? Like, it's been like a, a of, secret spot yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I remember there's like one of the guys from Cheap Trick lives out on yeah, the yeah, East. Yeah. Yeah. Harbor, Robinson. Yeah. One of the guys, I, th- I can't remember ACDC. which guy from ACDC. John Prine lives in Gulfport. Yeah. Yeah. Know? That's right. Like, yeah. I think yeah, actually, in, uh, one of the dudes from NXS lives here. Yeah. Randomly, you know, it, it's just, it's funny. Yeah. It's always been like a secret spot. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you want to? So, 
I mean, it would be cool if there was more like activation on the front end. Of course, you'd want people to be like, hey, I live part time in St. Pete and I think it's cool as hell. Like yeah. we could always benefit from that. But I don't think the people that are creating are ever going to stop. And it doesn't look like the government's really going to give any real uh, subsidies or anything real substantial to artists making music anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, they care they care about other stuff. This so. isn't Canada. Yeah, yeah right. right? <laughs> so, I mean, to answer your question, I think they've always been here and I think they'll always be here. I would love to see municipal government throw more money at them or create some kind of program for musicians and kind of walk the walk instead of just talking the talk and putting out Instagram. But... Jane Castor and Rick Christman, that's up to you. Or yeah. whoever well, the 600 box comes. We know you're listening. Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We know you're, you're yeah. avid Cigar City Radio yeah. listeners for sure. So Put up or shut up. Yeah. Buddy. yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the the new single, Iron Heel. So that's, uh, you know, like Ray said, it, it's one of those songs that you can hear it just filling an arena, you know, but, you know, you're going to play it in an intimate venue next mm-hmm. week too. So tell us a little bit just how, how that song came about and, and what what it means to you. Uh, the roots to probably most of the songs that are written for loose talk generally are started out on the Washington coast for the most part, at least for what we've released so far. So for years, that's just where I would go to write. Uh, my buddy's family owns a motel in a city called, uh, it's called ocean city. It's right by ocean shores. Real original names. Yeah. Yeah. And and surprise, they're right by the ocean. It's weird. It's <laughs> totally weird. But, uh, you know, they're very um, seasonal, if you will. So in the summer, that's where they make all their business. In the winter, it's dead, you know, because it's, it's out on the Washington Peninsula, which is basically a rainforest out there. So it rain, pisses rain all the time. Right. It's cold. It gets dark early. It's only light for a few hours. So it's really easy to just kind of like detach, you know, and just stay in a room and write. So I used I would go out there for acceptance. I went out there for Amber Lynn and then, you know, subsequently for Loose Talk. That was the first time we ever sat down and actually wrote together was out at the coast because generally Amber Lynn, people would write separately and then we'd come together and kind of put pieces together. But we'd never really just sit down and go like, oh. What do you yeah. like? Let's do something. You know what I mean? So yeah, we had basically been trading demos at that point. Like I would, I would just do a rough thing, send it to him. He would do a rough thing, send it to me. And this that was the, that was the first place that uh, we actually sat down in a room with instruments in hand and changing melodies, writing yeah. lyrics together. I mean, that, that was a big that was trial by fire because, like I said, neither of us had done that before. So it was a big growing experience. But Iron Heel took form out there. I pro, you know probably wrote the riff a lot four or five years ago and then just over time we kind of like pieced it together you know and it generally starts with some sort of a melody idea and then try to fit lyrics into that at least i do personally and uh you know the hot topic for us was american politics and it still is it's something that we talk about all the time yeah that's what that song's about it's just kind of how an outrage it's what we've just been watching for the past few years so well, it has such a great opening lyric that, you know, you start a revolution with every breath you take. And it's like, all right, I know I know what these guys are about right away. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's not really ambiguous. In yeah. yeah. Sense. Which we didn't want it. Yeah. 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 We're not. I mean, we're we're not overtly, I think, political people artistically normally. But, it, you know, just sometimes if it, it, the, the mood strikes, you know, you just go with it. <laughs> Do you remember what was going on in politics at that time that maybe wouldn't leave your mind or leave you alone? That well, the, the same thing that's still going on. It's, oh, okay. I yeah. mean, it's a daily right, yeah, yeah. outrage. Sure, you sure. Know what I mean, pick a topic. So yeah. honestly, that was probably right after the election. Okay. But we were just watching things happen on a daily basis yeah. of just like and like getting angry about everything, every yeah. little thing. That's the whole, I mean, the lyrics really spell out what we were feeling, you know, literally every time you take a breath, it's, it's, you're, you're messing something up. So the song itself sounds like super, it's one of those songs that when you hear it, you're like, okay, this is something that you can definitely just grab onto, adopt into your life, listen to it in the car wherever. But from what it sounds like it took, there's pieces coming together some uh, level of hand wringing. It, it seems, I mean, it sounds like such a simple song, but there's no way that it actually was, right? Like, yeah. when did you know it was done? Uh, for me, it was when, I mean, when I first heard it, I was I was kind of on the fence about the song. Because, I mean, for what we were doing at the time, and I guess the headspace I was in for what I was writing, I, I felt that it was a little out of place um, musically uh, a bit. And then, like, as, as it kept developing, I was like, oh, this is going, like, this is going to a good spot. This is um this is what we're doing you know sometimes you 
I mean, I think I have a very detached way of looking at what anything that I write and or anything I'm a part of creating. And sometimes I forget that this it is what we're creating. So it's like, like, oh, it doesn't sound like us, but we wrote it, screw it. <laughs> you know, right, it's like right. so and then I mean as other songs started taking shape, it I think it also found its place um just within the middle of everything. It it uh it had the same vibe and uh style that I think, you know, everything else had. It was it it was approaching songs from how we were writing other songs. So it didn't I think the only reason it seemed out of place to me was just maybe it just wasn't done in a comfortable spot yet. But once we started really uh, putting together vocals and melodies, that's when, or lyrics and melodies, that's when it took shape for me as far as like, oh, this is this is something that's that's good. This is what we want it to be. We've been defining our set. You know, it's a new project, so obviously we had conversations. But you define your sound by what you write, obviously. So. That's kind of even been evolving since we began. You know, we had what we thought our influences were and kind of what we wanted other people to hear, you know, but uh, those have been changing as well. So I think we just want to be a rock and roll band. You know what I mean? Like there is a lot of bands doing kind of throwback blues stuff. We don't want to be kind of just pigeonholed into like, oh, I see what you guys are doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Black Keys, I get it. You know what I mean? Like that's not at <laughs> it's all. Crazy. You I know? did have that thought once. The black keys thing. I yeah, I didn't think the black keys thing either. Yeah. Which is great. I yeah. mean, that's an easy reference. Okay. You know what yeah. I mean? Because I think a lot of times when people think of blues rock, if they don't like listen specifically listen to that genre or listen to a lot of rock and roll, like the only blues rock band they know is Black Keys. Right. You know, so there's sure. a lot so yeah. people I think a lot of people that have maybe like likened anything we do to the black keys a lot of time. That's, you know, that's, that's, point that's, of that's the only type of band or that's the only band they really listen to of that genre. But I mean there was I think we got we had you know, people will be like, oh, like Black Rebel Motorcycle Club or something, which I'm way more down with that reference, I think. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah that one makes I'm, more sense. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm a big yeah. fan of that band. And, Aesthetically, and too. Yeah. yeah. But, um, it's, yeah, it's just funny. And then there's and then there's always just the non-musical references of like, oh, it just makes me want to get on a Harley and drink whiskey, which isn't safe. But <laughs> Yeah, you shouldn't <laughs> drink whiskey yeah, while on like, Harley. <laughs> but it's just funny, like the, the images that kind of people say. cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you just want to not advocating for that yeah. right now, you know, we're just, but we, you know, we try to, we were trying to develop our own sound. You know, a lot of our songs are tuned down pretty low as well. So, you know, there's a lot of stoner rock, but we weren't trying, we're not trying to be a stoner rock band. We're not trying to be right. a blues band. We're not trying, we're just trying to be, take all these different influences that we kind of like, you know, and sounds that kind of so like put those down like a whole step or half. Step, some of them are like, down? yeah, we're like okay. in drop B for some songs, right, which is B, super low. Yeah. Shit. Which is like, you know, that's what, Stoner rock band, yeah, play it. Yeah, you know, you're gonna be like, sounding like Kyos Torch and like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's gonna sound good at Hooch and Hot. Yeah, no, it will. It will. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's funny because I mean we we were we we played we had a lot of Amber Wind songs that were in Drop Beave and stuff like that. So it's it was, but I think in terms of you know the style of music maybe that we thought you know loose talk was gonna be, we didn't really at first think like, oh yeah, we're gonna be playing in super low things too. So at first I was thought like, oh, everything's just gonna be an E standard because that's what all blues stuff is. But it, yeah, we we had, maybe to Christian's detriment, he, we have written a lot of songs in different tunings because well, we, that's a good range for me for yeah. my vocals as well. Where that that chord, but it sounds better to me tuned rather than playing it an octave higher. You know, it doesn't have as much balls as if you tune it down right. that low. It gets a lot of it rumbles your balls, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah well, yeah, like what he was about to say was. We didn't really think of these things in application when we were writing the songs because we're like, oh, we're going to do the song in open B and this one's in E standard and this one's in G sharp, open G sharp. And right. then when we went to play a show, I was like, oh, man, I got to play like five different guitars. Right. Yeah. So I'm like switching between every song. I'm just like, damn, we didn't really think this through. Like, With no tech. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, guitar change, guitar change, guitar change. I even said the first few shows, it might look like I'm just showing off my guitar collection, but us in our wisdom decided to write every song in a different damn tuning. So I literally <laughs> have to play four different guitars. Oh my so after you write the album, you have to write the jokes for yeah. like when you're tuning and stuff. Well, yeah, the jokes yeah. just wrote themselves. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the jokes are the easy part, right? Yeah. yeah that's the, it's the album. <laughs> so yeah, so tell us about the album and tell us what's, what's coming What's coming after the single? Okay, yeah. So we re-released an EP, obviously through you guys yeah, that we had symphonic distribution, symphonic, Shout yep, out to them. which is amazing. Um, that we had released a few years ago, but really just it was a fart in the wind. We didn't promote it. We just put it up on Spotify. That was the only spot. I don't really remember what our game plan was back then, but we didn't want to distribute it everywhere. We just kind of, I think. 
I don't, I don't know what we were doing. But anyway, we, re, we re got it remastered, and that's now available everywhere. Everywhere you can stream and purchase music, you can now get that EP. Iron Heel is the lead single off of another EP we'll be releasing at the beginning of next year of all new material. We're still writing. You know, I, I have the luxury of basically having a studio at my house, and we can record as we go. A good friend of mine's a great mixer, so you know, we just record things in my house, get them to where we think they sound good, and send them off to my buddy. So we've got a good rhythm going moving forward. And now we're like, like I said, we're just trying to book shows and try to, you know, I think a lot of people looked at Loose Talk and been like, what it? Is this just a hobby for you guys? You know, because I was working, you know, I got a job at a dealership. Dion was working at a merch company. We were pretty silent, only playing shows here and there, maybe twice a year. So you would look at that and go, oh, they're just, it's just a hobby. But now we're trying to be like, no, you know, we're booking. We just booked another show, uh, another show in December with some friends of ours, up another show in Orlando. So cool. Yeah, we're like, Trying to get to be an active. Are these still Washington State songs, or have have the Florida songs kind of start to seep into this EP that um, Iron Heel is on? Uh, maybe like half and half. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there, there's still. I mean, there's there's elements, uh, you know, like Iron Heel and one of the songs changed that were written really early on, and then uh, I think a couple of the other songs are uh, Florida. Yeah, Florida. I mean, they all—they've all got a piece of. They are always finished in Florida. Okay. It'll, maybe the seeds are started in Washington, but they're always finished at my house for the most part. Okay. So, what neighborhood is that in, by the way? Just Kenwood. For, okay. Right by the St. Pete High. Cool. Oh, right on. Yeah, like right by St. Pete High. Yeah. <laughs> right by the school zone. Like I can hear the football games. Oh yeah. yeah. So there's no finishing touches done on Friday nights. Well, oh yeah. But they don't save it <laughs> to the studio. No, I mean that's in my room. It's pretty silent in there. I mean, I. It's a safe space. And I mostly most of my recording is straight in anyway, so I'm not miking a lot of stuff. My vocals, yeah, I, you can hear road noise sometimes when I've got it really compressed and I'm listening to just my vocals. I'm like, okay, or I can hear my dogs chewing a bone in the other room. <laughs> like, oh, great! I gotta, I gotta get that. Hey, out of thanks there. a lot, Nana. Yeah, yeah. I, right. I'm curious. Going back to the Rick Rubin thing, thinking about those meetings that you had when, with acceptance, and now the music you have now, and like. How does your view of like ownership of music and your music and, and you know those masters and everything how is it different from from back then and like what were you thinking about back then what's it like now for you as an artist to have to approach symphonic and be like hey we'll do this like is it still as scary do you feel more empowered what's that like for an artist now since you've that's been a, through such a wide swath of that's a great industry? question honestly because it's changed so much from that was early days of acceptance of even just how we would go about being a band and what that even meant, you know? So back then it was like the goal was to play shows locally. And there was a killer local scene that in Washington, you know, you could play acceptance would probably play around the state two, three times a month. And it would, you wouldn't feel like you were oversaturating. These are good tours are coming through. There's just a killer all ages scene. So that's kind of how we got going. And you know, the reason we even started talking to labels was we had an offer from Tooth and Nail, who was obviously a Seattle-based label. And we, a good friend of mine's band, Vendetta Red, had just signed this massive deal to, I think it was like Epic or something. So I think it was one of the biggest deals for an unsigned band because everyone thought they were going to yeah. be the next Nirvana. And so my buddies were like, hey, like our lawyer kicked ass on this deal. You should bring the contract to him and have look it, look it over. So we brought it to him and he's like, this deal is crap. You know, it's like seven records and you're, you're going to give you no money. So he's like, let me, you know, go record some demos, make them sound great. Bring them back to me and I'll send them around. I'm sure I can get you a, a better deal. So the first EP acceptance put out, Black Lines, The Battlefields, was actually just the demos that we went and paid. We did it with Sprinkle. So, I mean, we recorded Aaron Sprinkle, who was our producer that did Amberlynn and did a bunch of stuff for acceptance. He made, you know, that was basically record quality songs. So he sent it out. That was a process back then. But... To get back to your question, that was like, now it's like, I don't know that the goal is necessarily like you just try to get on a label. And labels aren't even looking for rock bands for the most part. You know what I mean? At least yeah. not like us, you know? And like, as far as all ages, there is a scene here in Tampa and in, in Seattle, but not like it was. You know what I mean? There wasn't, not like an all ages scene like there used to be. You yeah. Know I, mean? I joke with Christian all the time because, yeah, obviously he grew up in Seattle. I grew up in middle of nowhere, Florida. And it's like the, you know, house shows I went to were bands that, ne- you know, never did anything other than playing house shows. And then they broke up, you know, 
And then it's like he's like, oh yeah, I remember that basement show I went to and saw Botch, and like it's like the yeah. like oh yeah, that's right because you were living in Seattle and oh, yeah, yeah. Like, some of the coolest bands ever would like you know started out of there. And it's like it's not like the old days where you just walk down to the local punk club and see Nirvana play. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Did that uh, every weekend, um, but yeah, I mean we've been trying to. It has changed so so much. You know what I mean. Even just the way that people consume music has changed. Because even when acceptance first got going, it was still people bought records. It was like right at the cusp. I was in college right when Napster was kind of taking shape, and you know, so my whole career has been based around the beginning of the end of like the music industry as we knew it, which is will be a good thing I think in the long run. But for my career, it's just been like wow, it's just yeah. like it's completely killed anyway. Here, steal everything that yeah. they make. Yeah, well, I know I paid a lot of money like to make this or thing, anything, yeah. but like really, that was that's what was happening. It, yeah, I mean, uh, it, at that time. Yeah, so um, that, that's, that's crazy. A, that's though, a conversation for another time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. we could talk about that sure. all day because yeah, just seeing the the change from like you know Napster starting to then like MP3.com and MySpace and then mm-hmm. now to like what it is like. You know, you you guys kind of went through all that with your music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, well, there wouldn't be a symphonic without the change, you know, That's true. without the change in the business. You know what I mean? The ability for artists to really just, like I'm saying, record music at my house. Like if I wasn't in Anne Berlin, if I was just a dude, I could record music at my house, put it out through any distributor, you know, to, you pay them, you know, TuneCore, yeah. whoever, yeah. you know, and get your music everywhere. And anywhere you tell them you want to put your music, this is just with no no middleman, no labels involved, whatever. And, you know, that, that's worked out for some people. You know what I mean? You've yeah. got your Post Malone. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah, He's yeah. just a dude. Release some music in however the hell that works in, uh, you know, what, where was that? SoundCloud. SoundCloud. Yeah. However that works, sometimes you put out a song and next thing you put know, someone hooked it up into the uh, mixer and then started singing it was crazy yeah that's wild but that but that's how it is now is yeah. like you know the the, the leveling the playing field is leveled you know because yeah. now you can just put music out and if you find your audience you know what do you need a label for you know you don't need somebody to go in and get you into tower records and fye and all no that longer None of those stores exist yeah. which no is funny because either. that's how rick rubin started was you know him and russell simmons started def jam you know because they were in the middle of this new york scene where hip-hop was just an underground thing that you know they saw what was going on you know and they saw what their friends and different family members were doing in the scene so no label was looking for that so they started their own label yeah and then you know it just next thing you know you got run dmc and the beastie boys taking over you know everything you know and just becoming household names and it's all from rick rubin and russell simmons and def jam so yeah. it's it's funny. I, I think I think so many things are relative in those terms that if you just you know if if you can be savvy enough and recognize what you should do and not what everybody tells you you should do is you know I think you can always find your way to finding success in what you're doing because I mean in the early days of Amber Lynn, all of us came from kind of like a underground music background you know listening to punk rock and hardcore as we were um, growing up you know, through high school and everything. So by the time we were in our early 20s starting Amber Lynn, it's like all we knew was grassroots essentially, you know, like going to house shows, going to small club shows. And, um, you know, our favorite bands were maybe selling 200, 300 tickets. So uh, Atlantic came knocking very early on in our career because uh, there was an a named Steve-O over in Orlando that always kept his ear to the ground uh, with, you know, the whole central Florida scene and everything. And so he noticed what we were doing very early on. And, but for us, it it was scary to us. We didn't want to just be another one of those bands that immediately signed to a major label and with no fan base. And then that was, we had one shot, you know, cause that's basically the way they looked at it. We're going to dump a bunch of money into your album and we're just going to throw it out there. And if it fails, whoops, sorry, we tried. Yeah. There was no, so to us, we, we were scared. Like there was, you know, no building there, there would be no building process for us as a new band. So we kind of took a step back and, recorded some demos by ourselves and ended up signing to tooth and nail as uh you know it was we thought it was a better thing to sign to an independent label and and some of our you know and, and i think uh you know in terms of ownership we didn't even think about that too much and ended up signing away half of our publishing and like stuff like that and yeah, yeah, you know, we didn't There's know no any better. Know. You know, we yeah. don't have we didn't have lawyers. We were, you know, we were a bunch of 21-year-old kids, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so yeah. so you know, we ended up, you know, so you know, we learned a lesson about ownership and what we should and shouldn't do very early on. And um, 
but at the same time we were you know we felt that we were just doing what was best for us you know and uh it, that's it worked out obviously <laughs> yeah you know all these years later but um yeah it's very interesting the the parallels because you can still get in that situation now is you know because because things are so much more accessible and the loving the playing field is leveled you can still accidentally find yourself in like a you know being like a naive kid whose stuff blows up on soundcloud overnight mm -hmm. but you don't you don't have any if you don't have any guidance you can end up accidentally selling all that to somebody else and you know if a publishing company comes down and says we're gonna buy it all for me they're killing it here's here's a six-figure paycheck but we're gonna make seven figures off this music, right? You know? Right. Yeah. So it's it's very interesting that you know as much it's like you know as much as things change, they stay the same. You just I think it's just the the waters, the waters change. The waves are different heights. The storms are different, but it's still you're still on ocean. You're still navigating those waters. So what's interesting yeah. about both those foundational stories is that the end, the moral of the stories was we were trying to get on a label. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. loose talk now, like we're saying, has the ability to just be like now. Maybe moving forward, if getting on a label, that might make things a little easier because you have departments that do certain things that you might not be able to do. But as a young, you know, artist or a new artist, you don't back then you basically unless you really wanted to be like totally DIY, which was not that commonplace yeah. back then. You had to go through a label to get your music out, whether it's an independent, you know, a million different independent labels, like whatever. But this yeah, day and did, age, yeah. PR departments, you had radio departments and mm -hmm. you had distribution and everything it was, it was a built in thing. I mean, it, you know, unless you were savvy enough and had enough money to do it all yourself, there wasn't, you know, unless you had like Any a grandma option. that could give yeah. you like a $30,000 loan, you know, it was kind of hard to, especially, you know, you even can, then you wouldn't know what you were yeah. doing. I mean, you know, pressing a bunch of CDs and tapes back in, you know, the early late nineties and early two thousands wasn't something everybody had ready money for sitting around. But now you can, if you have garage band or pro tools on your computer, you can record a full album and put it out there digitally for virtually no cost. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you know, instead of spending hundreds of dollars or, you know, or more in pressing out vinyl, pressing CDs and, you know, going and passing them out at shows or hoping, hoping that one or two people will buy them at a local show. Yeah. So the cost for things definitely lower. So, you know, that made, I think that makes it easier for independent artists where, you know, like I said, back in the day, you almost needed a label or some entity like that to really, essentially act as an investor more than anything you know they help help you get you know placements and commercials or whatever help you get on shows if one of their bands is coming through to tour you know so yeah and i think uh what's really cool and one of the things i didn't realize about loose talk when like we first started talking about you guys releasing stuff with symphonic was you know not only are you diy musically like you know you're making the music at your house but dion you're also doing the artwork and the branding and everything all yourself which is really cool and really impressive you know yeah i mean um i think that comes from like i said from where we started i mean my in the early days of amber Lynn and even bands i was in with steven and joey when we were in high school uh we made everything ourselves I, I was lucky enough to go to a high school that had a killer graphic arts department uh, <laughs> so i learned i learned a lot about adobe illustrator and adobe photoshopper on lake region high school in winter haven florida right on. yeah but uh my alma mater but um so you know i, I was lucky to kind of gain that knowledge early on and you know being kind of a nerd about music and how people did things like knowing minor threat story and bands like uh no effects and you know bands that not only were uh influential bands but did it on their own labels you know formed their own labels around their band because that was almost imperative like if you know nobody else was gonna i mean columbia records atlantic records were not trying to sign minor threat in 1980 you know it's yeah. like that wasn't even even remotely something that was interested in them so you know what do you do you just press your own vinyl and you make you know you, but you have to but so that taught me kind of about album layouts and you know printing my own i used i think the first band shirt i ever had i printed myself on, on screen printing you know and so um you know printed like 10 of them and sold two of them in a show <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. it felt like a success to me hey that's that's 
two people bought my shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's pretty good. Twenty percent of what I've my stock is already gone. This is awesome. But um, it took me a second to do that math in my head. That's yeah, kind of sad. I was gonna say that's very nice. <laughs> but uh, that comes from working at a merchant yeah, company, right? So I mean, so I think for years we didn't really there wasn't really a need for that. Uh, Nate Nate was always kind of the more driving force artistically uh, for the look and feel of all things Amber Lynn. So starting over with Loose Talk, I um, kind of tapped into that again and. Um, I think it's also a little more of my speed, the style of mm. merch. Although we will shout out Nate as well because he did hand draw. Yeah, so Nate early did actually on. hand draw what is basically currently our logo. So that, you know, he was just like, yeah, here. What, what's the vibe? All right, here you go. He drew like 10 or 12 images. I guess that's kind of that whole thing, like uh, <laughs> what we're going to present. Um, you know, I guess we know, kind of know our vibe better than anybody. And, I, you know, kind of fortunate that we can create that ourselves. We can create those assets and you know, make shirts and uh, album covers or whatever. And, you know, I'm, if someone comes along with a better design to me, I'm not even, I'm not against that at all. You know, it's like, hey, I don't yeah. think I'm the best artist in the world. I know what's best for this band, but for right now, it's a necessity and it's something I know how to do. So I basically just send Christian crap all the time. I'm like, hey, how's this look? Cool. All right. How's this look? Yeah. No. Okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of definitely kind of just like, I mean, it's, it's a collaborative thing of, you know, he's, he's more knowledgeable about, uh, songwriting and everything and I'm more knowledgeable about creating the uh, you know visual side of things so we work very well as a team <laughs> true yeah, that's awesome and I think it, it makes sense you know knowing that you guys both come from this you know DIY like punk scene now you know you're you're kind of set up in a good place for the this new music industry because it really is about DIY it really is about doing it yourself and you know I want to work with the band that says you know, fuck a label. I'm going to do this my way, you know, rather than the one that says I need a label or yeah. I'm screwed, you know? Yeah. It's and been, I mean, to me being completely independent has always been an ideal, but that like how you go about it has been the biggest question mark. And I think to, for a detriment to us has been, I'm very thankful for the success that Amberlynn's had, but you know, coming into you guys and speaking with you all, you know, we were very clear, like, I don't, I don't know how to operate in this, in the new landscape. You know, I want to, I want to know how to be an independent artist, but it's like, I've had so many intermediaries working for me over the years that do all that other stuff that it's been, it's been tough to be like, okay, where do I, where do I focus my time? You know, cause I, it, you know, you, you don't want to waste time. So you're like, oh, I got to record the songs. I, I got to, you know, get a mix. I got to, we want to get the right look. But then it's like, as far as like the other sides of the business that you've had other people working for you for so long it's been the big question mark of like, you know, I think for most artists, that's an ideal of like, if I could be independent and put out music and, you know, know the right channels to go through and the right, you know, places to, to put my work, then that would be great. But most people just don't, you know, you look at, it, it's a little daunting, you know, yeah. especially yeah. St like you were talking about from when I started or where we both started to where we are now, the business has changed so much. Yeah. Even the way you go about being a, an artist is totally different. It's much more freeing and much more, you know, ball in your court. You can do what you want, but it's like it can be a little overwhelming as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you're you're putting in the work, though, which is the the difference between, you know, a yeah. lot of bands yeah. making it and not making it in this day. Agreed. Yeah. I'm not I mean, I'm not afraid of uh, like help from anybody. I don't, I don't think I know everything. I mean, either of us do. So it's, you know, if I think, you know, it feels good to be able to accomplish things on your own but if someone comes in and they say something then i'm just like oh crap you know way more about this than i do like i'm not gonna ignore them you know it's yeah. like i'm gonna i'm gonna i've always been somebody that's gonna listen to somebody that i feel like has more knowledge of a subject or whatever because you know because i don't know everything and my wife would probably be like yep no you don't you don't know everything in fact <laughs> you don't know anything yeah you don't know anything at all <laughs> you are always wrong yeah. but um but yeah i mean it's it's i think you know for i mean us starting over as a young band, but I think even more importantly for young musicians or that are starting a band, it's it's good to try to learn from everybody that you're around. You know, pay attention to what other people are doing, and um, you don't have to be. I mean, we're, we live in an age where everything is a disrupt, and everybody's trying to reinvent the wheel. But sometimes you can just give the car a better ride by putting nicer tires on it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you don't have to be completely new and innovative. 
you can look at what other people are doing and learn from that and become a student of best practices and other people's success and look at how they did it, you know, and I mean, what is it? The 10,000 hours rule about the Beatles, you know, they probably practiced for a matter. They probably practiced for a total of 10,000 hours before becoming the Beatles, you know, yeah. it's or they played together for that long because, you know, they didn't become the Beatles overnight. You know, they, there was a lot of shows. There were a lot of practicing. There was a lot of songwriting that went into they that. They were gigging in Germany. Yeah. I mean, they left their country and went somewhere else, you know, followed a, a rock scene somewhere else and developed themselves into that. You know, they they didn't just wake up one day and go, oh, we're the Beatles. <laughs> that's, that's the best uh, invitation I can do that. But um, <laughs> I'm not even going to. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, they want it, but they don't want to work for it. They, you know, or they just don't know how to work for it. You know, mm -hmm. they don't know that a lot of people don't realize you can just book a show. Like that's yeah. not, I mean, it's not really that hard to book a show. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many bars around here that will take almost anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and just call, call right. Joe, call Broken Mole. Yeah. And, you know, call Jack. And, you know, yeah. aestheticize, just make you gotta, everything start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, but yeah, you gotta, I mean, you can't really discount other people's success and everything. You know, always look around and learn from, it. look at what's going on. And uh, I think, I mean, even now, as long as we've been playing music, I'm still doing that. I'm looking at, bands that i'm seeing i'm starting to see like pop up more and more in our area i'm like oh what are they doing you know like what's what's uh like how are they getting noticed more than the other three bands that they just played with on a bill you yeah. know it's like so you know i'm always intrigued by that i'm always intrigued on what what piques people's curiosity because i'm gonna have to use that for myself at some point <laughs> yeah it's a really good way to look at it yeah so we're, we're coming up towards the end of our time but i wanted to turn it over to ray in case you had any other questions for these guys i mean in the back of my mind, I've been thinking, because you were mentioned of Black Keys, it's so crazy how you can put out your art and then really it can get fucked up by people's, especially in the internet age where, like even me, I don't have that much time. I'll search to see what somebody else wrote, start those as my touch points. But if you just start getting lumped into blues dash rock, um, Black Keys, then it almost is detrimental to this whole thing that you're trying to yeah. do. And I think in talking to you, I, I think I know what loose talk is kind of about right now in this stage. You know, sure. you want to play shows, you want to explore these songs that you're writing now. But is there anything that you hope doesn't get misunderstood about the thing that you're trying to do uh, with this band? Um, I mean, I, I think and we were I guess it was almost like a conscious thing at the beginning. Um, one of the reasons we are. I guess vibe wise, we veered away from something we've been doing for so long is we didn't want the we didn't want the band just to be perceived as Amber Lynn with a different singer. Mm -hmm. So that I think that kind of drove a little bit of the musical direction anyways. So but um I mean I don't want people to misunderstand as, as in like we are necessarily like actively trying to stay away from something or whether or that we're trying to specifically sound like something. I think for us we're just at this point we're just trying to write the best songs that we can and that's it i mean it's what we're not we're not trying to define a style for ourselves we're trying to let the songs that come about define that right. style so i mean i well i will i welcome comparisons to the black keys sure. I mean, they're a fantastic band i respect well, their story and their everything's always going to be in the eye or the ear of the yeah. beholder you know what yeah. i mean and i'm not it's not our job to determine what that is you know we determine that by writing the songs we do and by doing the things that we, you know, actively doing the things that we do, you know, with our art or even just with the shows. So, you know, musically, we're always going to put put out what we want people to hear. And I think, you know, like I said before, the hardest thing, I think the biggest thing struggle for us has been trying to convince people that we're a real band. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm -hmm. Because we didn't have the time, we didn't have the time or the money at the time to, to actively pursue being a band. So in other people's perceptions, they were like, Oh, this is a hobby, you know? And so now I want to break that down and, 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 you know, convince people like, Oh yeah, this is an active band. This is something I should be checking out on a regular basis. Cause they're actively going to be doing things and, and, you know, playing shows or putting out new music or whatever it is, not just like, hey, we're going to play the Benz for the second, you know, twice a year. You know what I mean? Right. It's like we are now actively pursuing opportunities or asking, you know, maybe probably going to try and get on some tours or whatever. It's like that, I think, you know. GMF. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we are open are and available. Oh, like, yeah, all right. 
to whatever. And we're basically, I think when we first started, we were a little more, we were a little more precious, you know, going, when we first started, we had a very idealistic way of, I think that we thought the band might pan out. We knew it was going to be hard, but I think we had, and now it's like, I want to say yes to an extent to everything because it is hard. It's hard being a band and to try to be really picky about stuff, especially early on is a little up your, you know, up your own ass, you know? So now it's like, I want to just say yes. You know, like if a friend, even if it's a not, doesn't really fit musically goes, Hey, you can, you want to play this show? You just, you just say yes, because it's like a good opportunity, you know, to to an extent. That always works out. I love going to a show where I hear a band that didn't expect to hear at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, the first time I saw uh, the band Elliot play, they were opening up for hot water music. Now think about those two bands playing a show together. You know, the first time I saw saves the day play, they were opening up for Snapcase. Right. So it's wow. like, wow. you know, like those are some, you know, pretty big stretches, uh, you know, musically. But I, then I also think about a lot of the shows that my like high school band, you know, played or that Amber Lynn played when they first started. And like, you know, I, you know, my high school band was a punk band playing with like ska and hardcore bands. It's like, you know, Maybe those gen- the genres intermingle a lot, but at the same time, not really. You know, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. you know they're very spe- kind of specific scenes. You know, you got kids showing up in like checkered shoes and, and you know totally ties, different. and then you got dudes showing up in the middle of summer in hoodies, you know, floor punching all around the you know place. <laughs> so, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think not trying to yeah, you can define you try and define your band, you know, or define your genre with your music all you want, but I mean, just play a freaking show. Yeah, out there and play. I, I think that was always my. Find that. I think yeah. that was always my advice. Even all the years we were touring Amber Lynn and you know, someone asked like, "Oh, I'm if I'm start, I, I'm starting a new band. Like, what's your best advice?" I'm like, "Just play shows." That's, be on that's, time. Get yeah. your shit off the stage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll go into the specifics of yeah. how to be a band later, yeah. but for right now, just play shows. You know, just get like don't don't. I, I think you know don't fall into the trap of thinking that just because you put your stuff out there online that people are you're gonna become the next Post Malone or the Weekend, like. Get out there, play shows. If you can't draw a crowd in your home.